Warning, this podcast contains adult content, including frank descriptions of sex, and lots and lots of swear words. Enjoy. I've scattered a trail of little gold stars from the suburbs of Southern California to the back alleys of San Francisco, where I once danced at the historic Lusty Lady and taught with the pioneering feminist health educators at Project Prepare, and where I now scribble stories and arouse writers. Devoted since 2003 to my day job as the sexy grammarian, I've earned a reputation for giving unconditional artistic support and fierce editorial feedback. Neil! Yes? That is, I think, one of the sexiest passages you have ever read out loud. To yeah, me. it sure is. It sure is. <laughs> oh, everything about it was great. <laughs> and hey, guess what? What? I pulled it straight from the website of our guest today. <gasps> we have a guest? We have a guest. Ooh. Yes. Before we do, though, first. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Claire. And this is FMK Lit. Where we read two romance novels, usually. Uh- a straight one and a queer one, always. And, the, and then we play Fuck, Mary Kill with the characters. Yes, we do. But today, we are interviewing the one, the only, Christy Lynn Balloony, whom I know personally and just recently discovered used to be an editor for romance novels. <gasps> Inside, oh my God, insider so insider info. Insider info. I know. I'm so excited. Hello, Christy. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. Okay. We have so many questions. But first, Christy, what's got you hot and bothered? Well, I have a few things I'm glad you're going to let me talk about. Yeah. Um, These days so, needs must. Right? We need we need lots of things. So, uh, I first, I just finished reading a book that I thought was really good. So, I know you're, you're the right people to offer... Uh, book titles too, um, and it is called Fixer, and it, it, the author is Sally Vedros. She is a local writer, and Fixer is totally a local story about San Francisco and about the tech industry, and um, definitely for me gave me all the nostalgia for the San Francisco that we just lost. Oh. And, and that was really a, a wonderful thing to read. It was really, I it, yeah. I don't know if I could handle that right now. You know, what it did for me is like, we were kind, it made me realize how much a lot of my friends and I were running around complaining about the San Francisco that we had back in January and making fun of it and poking fun mostly at ourselves, but to read about it and have this feeling of like, oh, that San Francisco is suddenly gone, and to read something that was just written as sort of an ode to the city, I thought was really great. Nice. Yeah. What was, was the title again? Fixer. 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 Great. By Sally Vedros, and her last name is spelled V-E-D-R-O-S. Great. Not a romance novel, but I think I think worth bringing up. I um, suppose we will allow our readers to read one non-romance novel a year. Wonderful. <laughs> I was just talking with an artist because uh, uh, they're, they're putting together something about Oakland and it's a very lighthearted comedy sort of movie 
Um, but they had made the point, and I thought this was delightful, that uh, we it is irresponsible to show Oakland just as a place, but as a place in the in transition uh, and and like in growing in in pains. Like I was about to say growing pains, but I don't think that's the appropriate word. In pains, and that there's that you have to show places as they really are, but also as where they've been and how that's hurting communities that are there. Um, and it was just like, it was lovely to think about, like, that's a, a whole story. Like, we can't, like, approach any of these cities that we're living in anymore with, like, just by what we see right in front of us, but, like, as how they've been. And I thought, ugh, it's a good point and it's a good thing to think about. It is, and that's definitely in the spirit of why I, why I love the fixer. So, yeah. Great. Did you? Did you? Have, you said you had a few. Did you have anything else to share I with have us? Others, but I feel like I should let you go. No, 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 no. I mean, yeah. please. I don't have anywhere else more. to be. All right, I want to bring more books to the table then. Yes. Yay. A writer who I work with just just dropped her book this week, and I'm so proud of her. Uh, the author is named Lola Davina. <laughs> That's a gorgeous is, name, isn't it? Though. Oh. And she is the author of a series of books called Thriving in Sex Work. And the first one is just called Thriving in Sex Work. The second one is a workbook that's a companion to it. And she has just dropped the third one, which is Thriving in Sex Work, her money book. Uh, uh, sex Work and Money, I think, is, the, is the, uh, the actual title. And Lola's work is amazing and heartfelt. And if you check her books out at the San Francisco Library, you can see that by how dog-eared and coffee-stained they are. <laughs> it is, a, um, it is a, a series of books that is so lovingly written for a certain community, but also anyone who's running their own business can benefit from the wisdom of how to run a sex work business. And her books are very good in that way as well. So. Great. I'm going to shout out Lola Davina and her new book just dropped this week. So proud of her to be bringing a third book to the world. Great. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. We will um, put all of these recommendations in the description for this episode so our listeners can check them out. And Neil, do you have something to say about that book? Do you know something about that book? You had sort of a like... I realized that I know Lola. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Awesome. You and I have a lot of people in common. We do. I wonder yeah. how that happened. I wonder. <laughs> it's, what's amazing is that we haven't met before. Yeah. I know. It's amazing. Anyway. Um, well, the third one is a children's book called Brown. And it is also just out this week. And I'm bringing it up because I, I, I'm, not, I'm not working with the authors, but I, um, I'm, I'm promoting them on my website. I interviewed them on my website. And that's just the newest um, interview on my blog is with uh, Nancy Johnson James and Constance Moore, who just dropped this beautiful little children's book that I haven't even gotten to read yet, but I've read the synopsis and it's a, about a little boy exploring all the colors that appear in his family. Um, and it's, oh my God. it sounds like just like exactly the book that we need right now. It sounds it so sweet. Of, yeah, it's out of Oakland. Both the the illustrator and the and the author are um, mm. are Oakland writers and and artists. So, yeah, those are my those are my hot and bothered three. That's lovely. Thanks for oh. letting me. Of course, of course, <laughs> Claire. What's got you hot and bothered? I also have a book to talk about. Yay! We had uh, like 
podcasts and podcasts ago, we had talked about possibly reading Cemetery Boys by Aidan Thomas. Uh, but Cemetery Boys uh, wasn't out yet. It wasn't available, mm -hmm. and we couldn't read it. So we had to scrap <laughs> that idea. Um, but And in fact, like even after that, because of COVID, like the release date was pushed back. And I think the publisher had thought that at some point the world would open back up again and that the author could do the tour dates that uh, had been planned. But of course that was all scrapped as well. So the book came out on September 1st, which is <gasps> on my birthday. Oh, yeah. So it was like a, a wonderful little present. I opened up my Kindle and there was this book that I had pre-ordered. It was very <gasps> fun. Great. Um, we'll have to do it. We'll have to do it for an episode. It. Yes. Yeah. It's out and you can get it. It is getting amazing reviews. It is, um, it is doing very well. This is, uh, this is a book that looks like so much fun and so delightful and um, I'm looking forward to it. And so now that it's out, I feel like we can say it's out. Go get it, go get it, go get it. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Great. It's been such a weird year for people launching books and the timing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've heard a lot of stories like that. Yeah, 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 and I get the feeling that uh, there's also been so many people who've, like, just, this has been, like, a fuck it year, I'm going to write my novel, yeah. but I think a lot of people, like, there was a lot of people who were like, oh, I don't have to be productive during COVID, and I don't have to make myself, so I've started a novel, but I'm not going to finish it because I've realized it's okay, but a lot of people are like, no, I'm doing it. Like, this is the time. And, like, they're going forth and they're creating these amazing things and blogging about it and talking about it and self-publishing where they can. And it's just amazing. And I just feel really proud for our, all of the people who are going to create something really amazing out of this very stressful and awful time. I agree. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like I should recommend a book now. Um... But you've been uh, reading other things as well, too, during this, this period, Neil. No, yeah. just for this. Just well, for this? <laughs> I read, um, oh, I'd have to look it up. I, I, I read, like, a book that was somebody's thesis for research for a play that I wrote. I know, but it's so fascinating. You've been talking to me about it. Okay, okay, okay. So I um, recently wrote a script to be submitted for a reading festival about a phenomenon called polari, which was, it, linguists call it an anti-language. We would call it like slang. Um, an anti-language used by queer people in London for the first like half of the um, 20th century as a way to identify each other and to um, keep what they were saying hidden from, so that they could like go out in public and talk about how much they want to fuck guys and like nobody would know. Um, and I'd have, oh god, I'd have to look up the book because it's not on my tablet anymore because I had to rent it because it's a reference book, so it's very expensive. So I'll put it in the show description. But basically somebody, like, um, wrote their, I, I'm assuming their master's thesis on Polari. Um, and there are a lot of books about the history of it, which of course is very interesting, but as somebody who's trying to write speakers of Polari, that's not as helpful. I mean, it's helpful, but you need more help. Um, so he analyzed it linguistically and looked at um, constructions and like how 
the language reflected the culture and it was very interesting and now I feel bad that I forgot it but I will put it in the show description but do you have examples of Polari that you can give us <gasps> yes I can um so one uh very typical phrase is uh how bono tevada your dolly old eek which is how nice to see your dear old face, which is what you say to someone when you haven't seen them in a while. But this is in, like, London. Ah, Bona Tavada, your dolly old eek. Um, and then another one, one of my favorites is Ah, Nada Tavada in the Lada, which is, uh, it means nothing to see in the larder, but, like, colloquial, it means, oh, he has a small penis. Nothing to see in the larder. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> so now I'm, like... Swamped in Polari, and I'm like, I just need to find someone else so I can like speak it with. Anyway, so that's been fun. That's been interesting, um, and I found a lot of really good um, some YouTube videos. There's uh, a drag queen from the '60s wrote a song in Polari. Um, it's called Bona Eek, which means beautiful face. Um, so yeah, so that's me. So I've been so my my quarantine time has been reading romance novels and research on linguistics. That is fascinating. That is <laughs> fascinating. Yeah. Okay. So we're here amongst greatness, we'll say. I'm so like I'm just so excited to hear Christia about your experiences. Um, we always like to start with our guests. What um, what was your introduction to romance? How did you find romance novels? I was thinking about this, and I realized that it was definitely way before I started editing them. I was uh, thinking about my how I spent so much of my childhood in these books. These bookstores haven't existed in a long time but there used to be like for every neighborhood a buy sell trade for genre fiction specifically yeah. mm -hmm. um and my dad went to them all the time so throughout my childhood before i was interested in reading uh you know chapter books i was hanging out in whatever like many neighborhood dusty buy sell trade bookstores waiting for my dad to do his business and trade in all of the paperback sci-fi mostly sci-fi and fantasy and action and and westerns that he read um and i think detective novels too he was a big reader obviously mm -hmm. um, of genre fiction so okay. i spent a ton, a ton of time in those bookstores and it wasn't until i had made my way through all the judy blooms in like you know fifth and sixth grade that i started to realize that these bookstores had something for me and i think i had like made my way through you know like uh did, did anyone else here read judy bloom did you read yes yeah. yes i was a big uh, it's judy the gateway bloom. drug to romance isn't it i think <laughs> i would definitely say so i mean a lot of the judy blooms follow the traditional romance tropes but it also like it was like an internal monologues of things that you couldn't talk out loud about like right. hello god are you there it's me margaret like that title just has a lot going on. Like, I'm growing up, are you even a thing? Like, I'm questioning my belief system. I'm, you know, like, I, I'm, I know who I am, but I don't know what everything else is. 
And then, like, even talking about periods and, like, expectations of when you're going to get it and, like, how, how it impacts your self-esteem. There is one of her books, and I'm sure there's others, that, take, that is from the perspective of a, of a boy and yeah. with, like, a romance with a girl next door who's a little older than him. And, like, that talked about some of the issues that men go through as they're coming of age and, like, wet dreams in particular. Yeah. And I remember running Oof. to my mother, middle of the night, and she was up watching and didn't know I was still awake reading. And I come out and I'm like, Mom, what is a wet dream? Because I just didn't understand what was happening in this book. <laughs> and the look that. on my mother's face, like, just like, so much had to happen just right now. And she'd had, she was like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think for me... Definitely. It was an introduction to romance and hope and also the giddiness, like the giddiness of like falling in love and, and having those feelings. Yes. And the confusion of that as a kid. Like, yes. Like, how do you tell the difference between I feel giddy, excited, happy, and I feel giddy, trepidatious, don't want to do this. Yeah. And like, they feel the same in your stomach. <laughs> so... Yeah, I think that was it, right? That Judy Bloom was writing the books where the the main characters were in their bodies and I was looking for that information about being in my body at that age, right? And yeah, I think and and on the on the other end from Are You There God It's Me Margaret where she, where the books where she was starting to mature and there was forever where there was actual sex. <gasps> um yeah. Um, and, uh, well, I should say, instead of saying actual sex, let's say there was penis vagina sex in forever. Sure. And, um, but, but to my sixth grade mind, it was actual sex for sure. And, uh, and then she did a, a, a rom an adult romance novel called Wifey. And we all read that. And then we were like, what is this romance genre that Wifey exists in? That's <laughs> of the genre we're supposed to be in. And it, and that was when I sort of like, it was like the, the clouds parted in these dusty old trade bookstores that I would, had been hanging out in all my life that there were like, shelves and shelves of books where women were in their bodies and that was really what romance was like was that for me um and i just i think i made my way through you know several several series right away and like read all of them and then i think i lost track of the romance genre when like reading in high school started getting um uh like uh, my high school reading load to, to get through high school started getting too heavy and I wasn't doing as much pleasure reading anymore. Um, and I kind of lost track of it again until I found myself editing. Mm -hmm. in the genre. When you were first discovering romance, did you feel a need to like sneak them away or did your parents know that you had begun your journey towards womanhood? We'll say. It was a little bit of both. And I think that literature really, like, steps in in that way. I didn't have to hide anything I was reading. Mm -hmm. But there was definitely a looking the other way about the fact that there was probably sex in those books I was reading. Okay. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Well, we all got to find out somehow, right? That's right. <laughs> and I think there was a little bit of like, fine, whatever, get as long as we don't have to talk to you about it, you know. 
Don't get this information wherever you can. Please don't say the word sex to our teenage daughter. I mean, like, that's incredibly trusting for someone to be like, oh, romance novels will teach my daughter about sex in a way that is, you know, healthy and productive. Yeah, problematic. But But I think so many people are learning. I mean, that's why I think your podcast is so important and and why, as um, an editor, I found myself really wanting to hold space for sex information being correct in this genre because I think a lot of young people are learning, at least in my generation, we're learning that way, and I think still. Yeah, or, I mean, like, a lot of people are learning about sex from porn now, yeah, which is a whole different bag of worms. Yeah. Um, so you said that you had sort of fallen out of the genre. Are you a romance reader again? No. I'm more of a historical fiction reader when I okay. when I read toward... Um, uh, genre fiction but as you know historical fiction crosses over a lot with romance. oh yeah that's, yeah, that's yeah. claire's wheelhouse right there oh I mean, yeah one of my yeah. favorite things about historical fiction is like oh let's have it ha- let's have these two characters who are uh based ish on people around the period maybe like smashings together of some very yeah. real people but who are periphery but were probably witnesses to whatever was happening and then let's have them have sex with each other yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like there's queen elizabeth like you know confronting spain you know in her full regalia and getting everybody excited about the war and meanwhile in the tent your main characters are having ferocious sex with each other before the battle begins <laughs> like I love it. I love it so much. It's, it's, it's insane, and it's great. <laughs> yes. So I wouldn't call myself a, a, a big uh, romance reader, but I am an eclectic reader. I pick up kind of anything that crosses my desk, and I definitely am still reading in the genre and, um, and, and, and loving especially the way romance shows up in historical fiction. And I started a book that you talked about on, on, on a recent um, episode. Um, um, and and I, didn't, I, I didn't read on, but you guys loved it so much. I'm going to read it now. It's, it's the one you talked about in the last episode. What's it called? Oh, no. Oh, now less. we're being tested, Neil. Oh, less. less. <laughs> I only read the first chapter of Less and I set it aside. I was like, eh, but you guys loved it. So now I'm going to go back and read it. Yeah. I will definitely say a lot of the criticisms about Less uh, are things that in general I would also agree with. Like there's main characters who just sort of let things happen to them and are just sort of taken by the winds of fate and also are a little bit like um, wishy-washy at times when it comes to choices and like maybe feel sorry for themselves a lot like i feel like less does fall into that and like that can be a barrier to entry mm. but unlike other uh, uh other genres where this happens in cider house rules um like the character learns from it and changes and grows and like becomes a fuller human being <laughs> Cider House Rules, by the way, is one of my least favorite books that I was angry about when it came out. I was angry they made a movie about it. I didn't understand what was happening. It's like, oh, great, let's have just this white dude blunder through his life of of modest but upscale privilege and then, like, be angry at women for making choices. <laughs> like, like, what are we doing? 
<laughs> anyway, that was my rant about a book that has nothing to do with these conversations. <laughs> but you've kind of covered that whole genre now. Every book has everything to do with every conversation. That's right. <laughs> Good. So, Christy, how did you get into editing? I began editing at a time in my life when I was trying to figure out what to do next because I had just decided to stop doing sex work. And I was looking for a, a, a new direction in my life. And I wanted to be around literature. I wanted to be around writing. I wanted to be a writer actually. And a lot of people who want to be writers get into editing, actually, which is an interesting and problematic phenomenon. Uh, I'm sure you learned a lot, though. Oh, yeah, I did. Um, so at the time, and this is to, around 2002, 2003, um, I had just introduced my dad to like the existence of the internet. And he had just retired from the post office from carrying mail for 30 years. Oh. And one of the first things he did on the internet was get himself a retirement job, which was this guy who had read, you know, genre fiction his whole life, editing genre fiction for this editing company that just churned out editorial work for new novelists, for beginning novelists. And they charged like something like three bucks a page. If you had just finished your novel and you wanted a, an, an eye on that novel, you could hand it over to this A1 editing company and they would, uh, they would set you up with an, an editor and, um, and you would get your novels up. And they, they just they did a ton of work and they, um, and they contracted with, uh, with editors and they trained editors actually and so they had trained my dad and my dad was like here's something you could do you, you're, you'd be good at this and I you know I was just sort of already that kind of English major editorial good good eye for mistakes in papers the person that edited all the newsletters at the nonprofits I worked at and um, I had been sort of an, an unofficial editor in a lot of capacities already um, so I, I went through her little mini training, and when she asked me about my interests um, it, in, in the, in the um, director's position or director's point of view, it seemed like I was a good fit for erotica and romance, and they didn't get much erotica, so I started doing all the romance. Ooh. Yeah, that's, that's what got me there. After all of the time that you've been doing this, like, are there particular pet peeves that you have when you are reading through somebody's manuscript and that just um, you immediately target in on and that you can reliably know if you see this, like, bam, this is going to get a comment? Yeah, and I think that those pet peeves are not unique to romance. And a lot of my approach as a writing teacher and an editor is is very across the board um but when i'm looking at writing uh to see sort of what does this 
writer need to learn to get the work to the next level um at least in in the in the world of of novel writing i think that the most common issue that comes up is uh mastering point of view mm. a lot of new writers don't even realize that it's a decision that they need to make. Um, even even write, new writers who have been reading, who are very well read, point of view is one of those things that's when it's done well, you don't notice it. And so a lot of new writers have been loving really great writers for a long time, and and this is an aspect of the work that they didn't realize was so important and they didn't even realize that it was being done for them that that readers are, are sort of spoon-fed um point of view when it's done well when it's done well so and what i mean by that is everything that comes under point of view right so like a, you know a trend right now in the romance genre i think is to have um uh um rotating chapters right like a chapter at least in in the heterosexual romance um, genre, I see a lot of this, um, sort of the, the, guy's the guy's point of view and then the girl's point of view, the guy's point of view, the girl's point of view, back and forth, um, is, is pretty common. So, that, so if someone is on top of point of view enough to be conscious that they're going to do that, then they're way ahead of what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the problems that I often see is someone who hasn't even thought about, made a decision about whether they're going to be in first person or third person, or they, go ahead, Neil. No, I'm just like, wow. Yeah. You know, a new writer, right? They're, they're yeah. just, they haven't thought about that or they're in third person. And this is the most common problem. They're in third person, but they haven't thought about all the many layers of uh, of distance and sympathy to the main characters that they can choose and they haven't thought about structuring that in a way that the reader won't notice it too much. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's really definitely good. read books that are, have that particular problem yeah. or like yeah. books where they do the back and forth between, you know, our two main characters but then we sometimes slip into the brain of of one of the other characters. Right. It's just like a slight slip into like third person that doesn't like quite make sense. Yeah. Or like either yeah. character somehow has information that they could not have known unless they read the POV that came directly before their chapter. <laughs> well, that is exactly how new writers get into this problem is that they have in they maybe they have without knowing it lucked out and stayed in let's say a third person sympathetic to one character point of view for like you know 50 pages but then there's information they need to get to the reader that that character doesn't have and then they just out of the blue the narrator <laughs> is going to jump into somebody else's brain in order to give us that information and they're like what you know <laughs> <laughs> but could you imagine how much simpler life would be is if you're you're like going to meet up with someone and you read their point of view that like just <laughs> happened leading up to your meeting them? Yes. Oh, cool. So much easier. Yeah. Yes. It'd be great. Yes. 
I think I've often. Yeah, and, and I spent a bunch of time with writers brainstorming creative ways to get that information, that information that we wish we had on our way to a date mm-hmm. um, across in other ways. Like there are other ways. You do not have to brain jump to get this information. And, you know, we'll begin with the, like, maybe your main character will receive a letter with this information in it, right? And <laughs> like, and then we go on from there, looking for other, more creative um, possibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but it often, that's when, the, that's when the point of view problem rears its ugly head, is when there's information that comes from someone who has not been established as a point of view character thus far. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah. So yeah. when you, because we'll get into this a bit later, you are not exclusively editing romance novels now. But Correct. when you were, were you um, like how meshed enmeshed in the industry were you? Like, were you going to like conventions, trade shows, definitely, all that malarkey? Definitely not. Although okay. I have had opportunities in the meantime because of relationships with writers um, to get to, to sort of jump into that world a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I, I have some experience with it. And my overall sense, I don't know if you all have this sense, is that at least in the self-publishing, um, conferencing uh, community, it's, a, it's lovely. Like, there is a lot of support and, um, and community and collaboration and more so than I see in other genres. Like, the romance genre seems to be a genre where there's a lot of women doing that thing we want women to do, which is, uh, uh, you know, climbing through the window and then reaching back and helping more people through. Like, I feel like I see a lot of that in, in that industry um, to, uh, to this day and have, have noticed from the beginning, for sure. No, I agree. I think um, so many other genres, it's, uh, it's a fight for shelf space. Like, yeah. Like, everybody's fighting for the exact same piece of a shelf. But mm. in the romance industry, especially self-publishing, um, it's so much like self-hustle. And whenever it's self-hustle, like, you have to depend on other writers who are also self-hustling and then, like, working with each other. Like, and it also, unlike in other genres, I feel like it doesn't, it benefits you to have written something similar to somebody else. So, like, in, uh, I mean, even in sci-fi fantasy, like, people are looking for the same-ish things, but they don't want an exact copy. But in romance, when you find that thing that really gets you to want to keep reading, you want to read variations of that thing. And you want to read it a lot. So, like, I like Regency, and I like certain types of heroes, and I want to read it well-written all over the place. So I'm going to look for authors who do the same sort of thing, because I'm looking for that hook in. And so I think, like, it benefits writers more than in other genres to have read each other, to really have in-depth knowledge about what turns certain people on and to know their audience really well. Also, I mean, in the self-publishing part, like, because that's so new and yet so strange, like, you have to have, 
like other people who've done it well because everybody's going who how how <laughs> who, who? <laughs> like and so they you need that support system and it, an awful fact is like i think there's a lot of mainstream writers who are writing like um romance novels right now who are getting shelf space are straight writers women's perspective um while there's a lot of like you know queer spectrum writers who are not going to ever get shelf space who are not getting published and need that community and need that support because they're all doing self-publishing and their books are good if not better than the ones that are on the shelf and so they need a lot of push and so I think like it behooves them to also have a very strong community, um, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I agree absolutely. And it's it's one of the things that I'm always um, just delighted to see when a writer takes that leap from uh, of you know uh, becoming a writer and 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 working on their own stuff into. Uh, putting their work out there in whatever way they do that, um, that when there's a community for them to connect to and when I get to see that community uplifting those writers, um, it just, it makes me really happy. And I think that, I think that's something that, you know, romance has always been a genre that has gotten a kind of, um, uh, looked down upon by other genres um, and and disrespected and so and and then like the rise of self-publishing uh, th all of the self-publishing authors have dealt with that same kind of snobbery in literature that romance has dealt with all along and so there's a way in which like I, I feel like the romance genre was ready to be supportive of authors, you know, like knew how to handle that snobbery in a way that maybe other self-publishing industries were not ready for. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think a lot of the problems that's uh, happening in uh, Romance Writers of America, like, is mm -hmm. because, like, they are an establishment and, like, the top level and some people working in were not embracing the self-publishing as much as they should and the diversity of writers who were in the self-publishing. So I think like they would have survived as an organization if they had done what you were saying, which is embrace the community and find ways to ensure the community had a voice. Um, and so now that community has gone elsewhere because as yeah. a community, they needed more support. I mean, that brings up such big ideas about institutions and artists that we're, I think, looking at across the board right now, right? I, RWA is a really interesting institution uh, to look at because it's true that I used to hear about RWA from my writers all the time when I started in this business back in 2002, 2003. Um, and now I never hear about them. And, and when that big controversy happened, I was like, oh, they still exist? Like, I, I really, like, they were not on my radar at all when that happened. Yeah, and I don't I think like, they exist anymore. Yeah, well, and they hadn't been on my, they had been on my radar previously, and I just felt like they had fallen away. Mm -hmm. So maybe they were just not serving their 
community. But they, we know that. Yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> it's yeah. not a Good. So, do you have any? Um, the, uh, you know, do you have any crazy stories <laughs> about romance, the genre, the industry? Uh, a book you came across, not naming names. Sure. I mean, I I, ha- I thought I think I have. I can tell you a little bit about um, sort of my experience in in it. Uh, you know, early on, and then also now. I don't know if these stories are crazy so much, but um, but stories that that I uh, that sort of stay with me. That my very first um, romance novel that I edited. Uh, you know, I was brand new. I had I had never edited anything professionally, especially not something the size of a novel. You know. Editing everyone you know, you know the resumes for everyone you know, and every grant that crosses your desk for years is not the same as editing a novel. <laughs> you know? so I was new, and I had been well trained, and I had great support from the company and my my mentor at the company. But still, I felt like a baby, and the author was a baby. She was brand new, and she had this really imaginative, beautiful story that took place mostly on a motorcycle trip across country. Um, yeah, right? That really sounds fun. amazing. Right. And, but I didn't know anything about like, long-distance motorcycling. <laughs> I, had been, I had been on one like, Dykes on Bikes weekend to Santa Cruz <laughs> on, like, on a Right, where the, the first date is a whole weekend on motorcycles going to Santa Cruz. Oh I my God. Done oh. that. Um, Beautiful. And like, and that was enough for me to know that you kind of have to like know stuff about a motorcycle if you're going to ride it for a long time. <laughs> you, can, you know, like you have to be prepared. Yeah, there's a little bit of training involved. Um, and so I was reading this, and I thought, you know, I don't know much about this, but it doesn't even seem right to me. And like. You know, she had this very like damsel in distress kind of main character, and she and it, the first time on the motorcycle, she's like practically unconscious, and he like you know the 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 male the the love interest like swings her on the back of his bike, and they go riding, you know, in this kind of very prince way. And I'm like, <laughs> I just don't know if an unconscious person could be on a motorcycle for an hour, like, and so. I've been on a motorcycle for 20 minutes. The answer to that is no. (laughs) (laughs) My experience was limited, but I found out pretty quickly it was more than the author had had. Um, Like my my one Dykes on Bikes motorcycle weekend was like all the experience on motorcycles anyone involved in the book had. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. So I... um, started doing some research by joining an online motorcycling like club yes um and asking questions like i am and telling them honestly who i was and what i was doing and they came through they were like we'll read chapters no you can do this no you can't do that and like cross country would take this like they had all the information for me you need to like look at this guide and this like what year is it they were on they were so interested right and that's like 
I guess maybe the moral of the story is like everyone wants to help creativity happen. Mm-hmm. And I stepped into that world and it and I went from being like, I'm scared, I don't know how to edit a novel to like let's go be beginners together in this motorcycle club and learn oh. we need to learn for this novel to be successful. Um, and so we, you know, she had to do a lot of rewriting and a lot of, you know, it was more than editing. It was sure. more than what I was getting paid my $3 a page. For. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you do when you're brand new at something, right? That's right. That's right. That's I right. think that also shows too, like just how much people want to see themselves reflected in media even if it's just like oh this interest that i have this passion that i have not even like even regardless of like demographics just like oh i want to see i want to see people on motorcycles fall in love because like that's me yes so that's really sweet i want to see it done in a way that when they read it they won't be angry going ah this person doesn't know anything about motorcycles right they'll be able to be invested Yes. Right, yeah. The I've only seen the first episode of Looking, if you remember that show. Yes. And there's a part where they're on Muni, and it's like, this train will not stop at Powell Station. I'm like, no. No. What? No. You just needed the conversation to last longer without people getting on and off the train. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, if you know too much about the setting, mm-hmm. it can make it very hard to enjoy the book. Right? Yeah. 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 So that's, I don't know if that counts as crazy story, but just sort of a peek into like that creative process of getting into it. And that's before like even talking about punctuation or even getting <laughs> a view, right? Yeah. There's so many layers in a big project. It may not that, be crazy, but that is a fantastic story. Oh, oh gosh, good. that's so oh, good. Good, 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 good. But good, that good. does lead me to like, I think my next question, and I, I, like, I think a lot of the people who listen to this, like, they've either attempted to write a romance novel or they're, like, playing around with the idea of it. But I think outside of just putting it down on paper, and if you get that far, hooray, you've yeah. done so much already. But then I think, like, the whole industry next step is, like, a black hole of unknown information. Mm-hmm. And I think specifically working with an editor in that process, like, I think some people think working with an editor means working with somebody mean who's going to be dictatorial over your writing and change things that you've loved. Mm-hmm. What should people think about when they're looking for somebody, an editor, and at what process should they start looking for an editor? At what point in the process, I should say? Well, I think that... Um, a finished first draft is something to celebrate for sure and if you have managed to complete a first draft without any support from other people and you don't already have an editorial person in your life or a or a a writing group already in your life then you've done an amazing thing solo and it's definitely time to bring more people into the project right At, at that point if you feel like your first draft is a readable first draft. Some of us, when I, my first drafts are not very readable in work in general, but if you're at a point where you feel like you've got a draft that's ready for other eyes, um, then uh, I think for beginning writers especially, that is a time to go looking for friends and, and peers. Um, to give you feedback 
before you go spending money on a buy the page edit. And that was the general thing that I learned in those early years is that beginning novelists have a tendency to like finish that. I've written my 50,000 words or my 100,000 words or, you know, it has an ending, so I'm done. Um, and then and then they want to hand somebody a wad of cash to make it beautiful. And there are steps in between. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you, because you really, there isn't really a way to pay someone by the page to go join a motorcycle club online and learn what you need to learn about your setting, right? And so somebody who can read through the whole novel swiftly and tell you big picture um, impressions and ask you questions, hopefully questions that will uncover things that didn't make sense, that you thought made perfect sense. Um, you know, I, I really think looking for those kind of readers early on is um, is preferable to spending money early on. Um, and, you know, editors do charge by the page or by the word. And so most of us write too long in our first drafts. And um, you want to, you want to, have a chance to have somebody who's free tell you what to get rid of before you're paying three dollars a page stuff that needs to go away. You know? I feel like that's some of the most practical advice that I have received as a writer. Oh ever. yeah. Oh yeah. Like like half of this book needs to go before you pay someone to fix the commas in it. <laughs> Um, so i think yes and and i just want to say that the again the romance genre is crawling with beta readers people who want to help other romance novelists get their work out there and um you know get on social media find some um, some romance genre, um, you know, follow your favorite novelists, um, get to know the other fans of that novelist because those fans will read your work. They're all reading each other's work right now. That's kind of what, what I see is, is the, the most active fan bases for, um, for uh, romance novelists are other beginning writers. Um, and so it's easy to it's easy to find those colleagues and start trading manuscript reads with those folks. That would yeah. be my advice for a first Great. step. That is that Great. is amazing advice, and I think I, I hope anybody who's listening to this is going to take that advice to heart because I think it is really really good advice. Yeah, we can all help each other out in our genres by reading each other's work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've alluded to the to this. You are not exclusively a romance editor anymore. No. So tell us what tell tell us about the sexy grammarian. Thanks for reading my my creative bio off my website. You made of it sound course. so good. I was thinking of changing it, but I'm not going to now. <laughs> <laughs> I you might just like, ask you to record it. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say get someone to just. I grew up in Southern California. Now I change lives. <laughs> we all deserve to some to have somebody sexually read us our lives back to each other. Right? Yes, <laughs> to have Neil specifically. I think. <laughs> yes, 
<laughs> Maybe that's my startup idea. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. Neil will read your bio. <laughs> Make you sound sexy. So, um, yes, I started um, editing romance novels back in 2003 and, uh, and from the get-go started running into this issue of this novel is not actually ready for an edit. This novel needs somebody to work with the writer on further writing or cutting or point of view or motorcycle gangs or whatever. Um, there's more work to be done. And it's not work that is easy to, uh, to put a price tag on. Um, it's not easy, easy work to, um, to count, count words and, and charge something for. Um, and so I didn't last long in the, in the editing company uh, because I very quickly was making deals with my writers about like, look, I'll read this for this book through for you um, and uh, and then we'll have some conversations and I'm going to charge you by the hour for our conversations to help you figure out what you're going to do next and and I didn't even know what it was called what I was doing but it was this it was something more like developmental editing um, or writing coaching uh, but the but I didn't even know those terms at the time that I was doing it um, and I tried at first to offer sort of a more robust service through the company I was working for. And she was like, I've got my operation down. I don't need it. I don't want that service. And it's totally okay if you take some of these writers and, and, and work with them on your own, as long as you refer them back to me when they're ready for an edit. I was like, great. So I started okay. sort of experimentally with with that um, with my boss's permission, um, developing sort of a by the hour uh, coaching um, service, and I started thinking about it more not as just freelancing, more as a company. And so I took a little um, mini business planning class, which was a cool nonprofit that used to exist in San Francisco called. Um, Women's Initiative for Self-Employment, WISE, uh, and they taught uh, like a, a sort of mini business school to women starting um, businesses. And I had a cohort, and the other women in that cohort are still my best referral sources. And I still eat, oh, well, not now, but I, I was going to say, I still eat in their cafes and go and, you know, get my eyebrows done by them and like all these, all these things. Like the women in that um, small business building cohort really helped me launch my business and uh and i added another um client group through that which so i, I was uh working with novelists new novelists and then i started also working with small business owners because everyone in my cohort needed me to like write their website and write their marketing material and i was doing that or like figure out what their sign should say in front of their cafe and um, so I started uh, adding more kinds of writers to my flock of, of writers that I was helping. And at the same time, my wife was finishing her um, thesis as a, um, in a social work school, getting her master's in social work. And I helped her get through her paper and I helped like three other people in her class get through their papers. And so I quickly added sort of a third family of writers to my uh, 
business, which were um, people trying to get into school and people trying to get out of school. Um, and I started editing a lot of dissertations. And there used to be um, a, um, a sex information, uh, an institute of, of sexual studies in San Francisco. Uh, and I, I edited all the dissertations coming out of that for a long time, <laughs> which was so fun. You know, I got to work on a uh, dissertation about um, uh, Hitachi magic wands, and I got to work on a, a, a dissert. What, what other cool dissertations did I work on for the institute? Lots of really cool, sexy, um, geeky uh, 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 sex dissertations that were really great. Oh, one about asphyxiation that was really interesting. Oh, um, yeah, uh, just really, really cool stuff that I got to do with them. So the business kind of became creatives, small businesses, and academic people working on academic projects and it just group people in those three genres need and deserve help with their writing mm -hmm. and i have just not looked back since and i wasn't calling myself the sexy grammarian yet then uh it was just editorial services with, and my name um but uh it sort of morphed from there Great. Um, and I think we can all agree that you are indeed a sexy grammarian. Oh, thank fact. you. All these are facts. <laughs> so if I, our... I might not have answered your question, though, Neil. Was the question, what am I doing now? I mean, mostly, yeah. <laughs> I feel very okay, informed. Now I'm working with those three groups, mostly. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So if our listeners are academics, small business owners, or fledgling novelists, where can they go to learn more about you and the services that you provide? Sexygrammar.com sexygrammar.com I feel like that's like that should have a little jingle it practically oh writes God, sung by you <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is why I hang out with Christy because she showers me with com compliments constantly <laughs> they are all from the heart 100% oh. right Oh. oh, 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 oh. Okay. Um, I think it's time for an FMK. Unless Christy, if you had anything else that you wanted to share about yourself or your life or your thoughts, I'm I'm here for for your awesome structure. So <laughs> so diplomatic. All right. All right. Let's do an FMK then. Yeah, let's do um, an FMK. Christy, do you want to go first as our guest? Sure. Okay. Notes. Oh my God. What did I say I was going to do? Okay. Yeah. I got, I got a couple ideas. Okay. Great. Okay. Um, they're both kind of dark. One is darker than the other. Ooh. Excellent. Sure. All right. Uh, so I'll do the darker one first. Great. It just feels like the moment that we're in. Yeah. Um, so disaster, disease, or dictatorship. <gasps> oh, mm. Give me that D. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and that gives me a book that I want to promo, but we'll come back to that. <laughs> oh, let's see. Okay, well, I think um, I am going to kill dictatorship because I feel like um, it is difficult to come back from. It is difficult to survive. It is unknown how long or short such a thing will be. Uh, it is difficult to escape from. It is difficult to 
uh, do anything with. So I'm going to kill dictatorship. Um, I think I am going to... Oh, this is hard. This is very hard. This is the worst. Um, well, as it should be. Um, <laughs> I, I think... I think I'm going to fuck disease. <laughs> because I would like it to be a short-term relationship. <laughs> I want it to be short-term. Um, and I'm going to marry disasters, if only because sometimes they are short-term. Like, it is difficult. Um, w while the reverberations from a disaster last for a very long time, and they can change society and all of that, with proper, like preparation for some disasters you can evacuate you can escape you can like help each other and often i feel like through disasters like there is a lot of coming together um it's not great definitely not gonna say it's great <laughs> um but i suppose uh given these choices <laughs> that is what i will do <laughs> neil i think i'd do the same i think i'd marry disaster only because stories of communities coming together after a disaster make me cry sad and happy tears at the same time. Like, I find it so very heartwarming to see, not that I want anyone to go through a disaster, but of these terrible things, seeing a group of people come together after a disaster to, like, support each other and help rebuild their lives makes my heart smile. Um, so I think that's why I'll marry disaster, and I guess I'll fuck disease, because... Eh. And then you I'll get stuck disease out of yeah. during COVID. <laughs> right. I just uh, um, and then yeah, I'll kill dictatorship because yeah, because yeah. okay, Christy. Oh, I have you to. Have do to an you do too. You've brought this upon yourself. I've brought this upon myself. Well, I'll I'll slightly alter <laughs> then um and say yes. I'll also kill the dictatorship. But I will marry disease. And the reason is, I think maybe we are married to this disease. And so I want to be I like, just made it darker, girl. I know. I know. But, you know, and also just like the idea that I draw from my, my queer community and our and, and ancestors of like, um, like, Accepting the accepting living with disease, I think, is a really important um, message uh, that I've been really uh, strengthened by. So, I think for that reason, and then fuck disaster, I guess, uh, yeah, because that's what I'm left with. Because that's what you, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, we've all fucked disasters before, so we might as well. <laughs> so many. Girl. Girl. Our listeners have heard plenty of my stories. I have some that they haven't even heard yet. Goodness me. Clea. Yes. Are you ready? Yes. Um, this one, uh, this one's on the lighter side. These are uh, three good things that Neil and I enjoy very much in uh, in our romances. So okay. you have to choose between three good things for this. Okay. So it's fuck, marry, kill, adult conversations about feelings, or enthusiastic consent, or learning from past mistakes. 
I know mine immediately. I'm going to marry adult conversations about feelings because that is what one needs in a marriage. I'm going to fuck enthusiastic consent because consent is sexy. And I'm going to kill learning from our past mistakes because I don't know how to do that yet. (laughs) Excellent. Christy, what about you? Mine are the same, but I have a different reason for one of them. So, yes, I will marry adult conversations about feelings. And yes, I will fuck enthusiastic consent. And I will kill learning from past mistakes because it makes me roll my eyes. Like, I, like, fuck learning from past mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell me to do that. (laughs) <laughs> I'll kill you <laughs> Good And Claire um, I am also going to kill learning from past mistakes If only because honestly You know Maybe our past mistakes make us who we are And uh, so why learn from them Just keep going <laughs> But <laughs> If you are also having adult conversations about feelings and enthusiastic consent, you're probably doing pretty good. (laughs) Um, I am going to marry enthusiastic consent, if only because I feel like if you carry that on in your life, I guess if you're shut up emotionally a little bit, again, at least you're asking for things or telling people things that you deeply want and are excited about. And of course, enthusiastic consent also comes with its opposite, which is like knowing what you don't want and communicating that as well. Um, And I'm going to fuck adult conversations about feelings because as great as they are, you know what? We could do it quick and it's fine. (laughs) Sometimes as an adult, I also like want to have them, but I also want to get to the next part. Sure. I'm not learning from past mistakes. <laughs> Apparently none of us are. None of us are. <laughs> good. So minor also... Hey, Neil, it's your turn. Minor also good things that I've gleaned from our conversation. So, fuck, Mary kill. Motorcycle gangs. <laughs> Regency damsels. And fledgling riders. Should I go first? Sure. Uh, Okay, I will marry those fledgling writers. They are my bread and butter. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure you're a little biased. Forever. I will... um, uh, Gosh. I, I guess I have to kill the motorcycle gang so that I can fuck the damsels. These are the hard choices we have to make. Yes, yes. Yeah. And Claire? Um, I'm going to marry damsels, if only because I can't. I love it. I just love them so much. I love them. <laughs> I will. I, they will always be in my life. I love them dearly. I am going to fuck fledgling writers, if only because I want to encourage them to be the next step, which is, <laughs> you know doing the thing so still be so moving beyond kicked out of the nest flying away like 
you know, so I will fuck them and then push them out the nest. Um, <laughs> you can learn a lot <laughs> from a nice roll in the hay, I think. Yeah, this is also when we find out that Claire has sex in nests. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm an eagle. Get beneath my wings, baby. <laughs> Claire Rice, theater maker, podcaster, eagle. <laughs> love it, love it. Um, and which means I'm going to kill motorcycle gangs. Um, I love a great many people who ride motorcycles, and I love motorcycles myself. Um, I unfortunately have also read uh, several books about actual motorcycle gangs, and. Ooh. <laughs> I think we've given them too much a pass in California and maybe like I'm all for like motorcycle hangout fun times <laughs> yeah in my you know. mind it was like motorcycle enthusiasts oh, not like a gang I'm, I'm unfortunately still going to kill them because of my other two choices that's but, fair uh... that's fair that's fair and Neil uh, I'm going to marry fledgling writers because uh, creative ambition is sexy. Um, I'm going to fuck motorcycle gangs because in my mind it's a group of motorcycle enthusiasts. <laughs> and with um, enthusiastic consent, it could be a really fun night. Right. So many daddies. Which means... <laughs> <laughs> so many daddies. Which means, unfortunately, I'm going to have to kill... Regency damsels, but they're already dead. So, <laughs> so there you go. I love that. So great, Christy. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. This is yes. wonderful. Thank, thank you, you for so having me. Of course. And what's your website? One more time. Sexygrammar.com. Sexygrammar.com. And I, I think um, as much as I enjoy uh, the advice for is very good that you need to go out and get free people who will read through your novel also pay and pay money for the next yeah. step it is yeah. important to pay money and like yeah shop around if you must but honestly people are worth their time and paying them for that time and their labor is important after you have written your novel and Claire has fucked you and pushed you out of her nest go to sexygrammar.com and, and grow that's right yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. Yay. Great. So I guess the the last bit of advice we have for our listeners is if you can do it safely and with enthusiastic consent. Keep, keep fucking. fucking. It's we're never gonna get it right. <laughs> we kind of did it.